The title of this research article is Navigating the Burden of Proof and Responsibility, a Narrative Inquiry into Indigenous Medical Learners' Experiences. The authors are myself, Sarah Berm, Sebastian Diego, Christopher J. Watling, Loy Wiley, and Danielle Elcock. Introduction. Medical schools are mandated to focus on social accountability. This commitment means that both individually and collectively, faculties and members of the medical education community at large must not only meet the diverse needs of individuals and communities within their locality, but also respond to the international responsibilities of the global community. A starting point for implementing this vision can be found in medical schools responses to the challenges of growing the Indigenous medical workforce. The underrepresentation of Indigenous people in healthcare professions is one of the ongoing challenges to ensure culturally safe care. In recent years, calls to action arising from international and domestic human rights commissions and Indigenous health working groups have urged medical schools to develop policies and programs focused on the recruitment and advancement of Indigenous learners and faculty. Specifically in Canada, where 5% of the total population identify as Indigenous, a starting point for boosting Indigenous medical workforce development is found in the responses of faculties of medicine to the Truth and Reconciliation Commission's recommendations around Indigenous health. Seven of the 94 PRC calls to action refer directly to steps required to address inequities in Indigenous health including one recommendation urging an increase in the number of Indigenous professionals working in the healthcare field. Canadian medical schools have responded in a variety of ways, with efforts being made to reorient social missions and admission processes to better align with the healthcare needs of Indigenous communities, particularly those in rural and remote locations. Many medical schools have developed mentoring programs for high school and undergraduate students, to familiarize them with healthcare professions. Moreover, education interventions around the issues contributing to health, Indigenous health inequity have climbed sharply across undergraduate and postgraduate medical education programs. Although the above mentioned recruitment, education, and support initiatives leave many hopeful about the future, it's difficult to evolve and tailor these approaches without a situated understanding of Indigenous learners' experiences. Previous reports and studies have examined the multiple factors influencing medical school admission processes and outcomes for Indigenous learners in Canada. Yet a neglected area in the medical education field is empirical research fully representing Indigenous learners' experiences throughout medical training and the extent to which these new initiatives towards Indigenous reconciliation have changed their experiences. An understanding of Indigenous learners' experiences pursuing a career in medicine and the effect it's had on career decisions and professional identity formation is imperative to enhancing supports for current and prospective Indigenous physicians. In this paper, we share Indigenous learners' stories about their journey towards and throughout medical training in Canada. With their permission, we situate their experiences as teaching stories, encouraging readers to draw on them to advance their and others' understanding of both facilitators that support and the challenges that hinder Indigenous medical workforce development. Methodology. We drew on the conceptual underpinnings of narrative inquiry and key principles from Indigenous research methodologies 
throughout the research process to inquire into Indigenous learners' experiences across the medical education continuum. Within our study context, we wanted to better understand Indigenous learners' motivations for pursuing a career in medicine and how their career trajectory has been influenced by experiences throughout medical school and postgraduate residency training. We recognize that narrative inquiry and Indigenous research methodologies each have distinct philosophical assumptions. However, what each approach values and prioritizes are the relational aspects of engaging in research. We appreciated the creative latitude both approaches afforded us as our and our participants in the telling and retelling of lived experiences. Reliance on narrative strategies was essential for ensuring participants' experiences remained in the foreground throughout our study. Similarly, Indigenous research methodologies helped us safeguard our interactions with participants, centering our study focus on the intent to heal and transform rather than injure. Recognizing the path to becoming a physician is far from linear, we wanted to elucidate the particularities of navigating medical training and practice as an Indigenous person so that those involved in medical education can reflect upon their current practices and consider new ways of thinking about recruiting and retaining Indigenous physicians. Participant recruitment. Four Indigenous learners, medical students and residents, and one recent graduate from a single Canadian medical school were recruited during the 2020-2021 academic year to participate in our study. Narrative inquiry emphasizes depth and richness of data over breadth, and thus it's not uncommon for sample sizes to be small. Participants had to self-identify as having Indigenous ancestry and complete all or part of their training at the medical school serving as the research site. Recruitment emails were sent out by undergraduate and postgraduate staff, and study information was posted in relevant social media groups. Because the process of Indigenous self-identification is voluntary, meaning some learners with Indigenous ancestry may have chosen not to formally identify within their academic institution, all learners, past and present, were invited to participate provided they met our study criteria. We additionally relied on snowball sampling where enrolled participants were asked if they would share information about the study with peers. We conducted in-depth one-on-one interviews to encourage dialogue and discussion with participants about their journey towards and throughout medical training. We relied on both spoken and visual text to think deeply about and make meaning of participants' experiences. Keats writes how providing participants with options on how they share their lived experiences can serve both participants and researchers in gaining a richer and more complex understanding of participants' experiences and generating new perspectives and knowledge. Specifically, we relied on photo elicitation, a visual research method that uses photos to stimulate discussion, in this case, about Indigenous people's experiences throughout their medical training. Utilizing visuals to augment qualitative research interviews has been shown to add a different angle of vision, prompting participants to consider and share the everydayness of their lived experiences with us in ways that words alone cannot always convey. Data were collected during two research visits. During visit one, Sebastian or Danielle described the study purpose, explaining our reason for pursuing the study the intention behind incorporating visuals into the inquiry, and the ethics of picture-taking. Participants were then invited to participate in a short interview. 
All questions were open-ended to yield descriptive data. For example, tell me about a time when you encountered challenging circumstances on your path to becoming a physician. Between visits one and two, each participant was asked to take photographs or choose existing photographs representing their motivation for pursuing a career in medicine, the barriers and enablers to medical education they encountered, and their future aspirations. Participants were encouraged to be creative in the images they took. Any photos that included other people required the consent of those featured in the photograph. During visit two, which occurred three to four weeks after visit one, a follow-up interview occurred, whereby participants were invited to share their photos and tell stories about those photographs. For example, the meaning of each photograph and why it was taken. The picture-taking component of the study was optional for participants and was not a limiting factor for participating in the one-on-one -on -one interview. All interviews took place over Zoom at a time convenient for participants, ranging in length from 25 minutes to three hours. Interview data was audio recorded and transcribed verbatim. With permission, the research team kept a copy of participants' photographs. In addition to helping guide the individual interview, participants were informed that their photographs may be used in presentations or included in publications for research and educational purposes. Participants have the option to request that their photos not be included in these activities. COVID reminds us that stories hold within them knowledges while simultaneously signifying relationships. They are active agents within a relational world, pivotal in gaining insight into a phenomenon. To begin analysis, SD, Sebastian, Danielle, and Sarah engaged in the process of immersion or repeated reading of each participant's interview text. The focus of this initial stage of analysis was on tracing how people, events, norms, and values, past histories, and future possibilities were interwoven into each participant's understanding of and subsequent actions throughout their medical education journey. In this way, we gained unique insights into participants' motivations for pursuing a career in medicine, as well as how their career decisions were influenced by experiences, policies, and perspectives within and outside their professional training. At the same time, we actively focused on identifying counter-narratives, those stories that either do not fit or challenge the dominant narratives of medical training within each participant's story. The photograph served as a data licitation tool, and therefore an aesthetic analysis of the photographs was not conducted. Instead, de-identified photographs were reviewed in combination with the interview transcripts to illustrate participants' descriptions of their experiences across the medical education continuum. Analysis unfolded inductively, meaning that the research team developed themes from the data rather than imposing previous theoretically derived concepts. Throughout the analytic process, Sebastian, Danielle, and Sarah met with Chris and Loy to discuss initial impressions of the data to determine which themes were most central or compelling to the overall story of the research and to refine their focus. Given the implicit and explicit effects of power that have historically influenced the processes of research involving and concerning Indigenous people and the interpretive nature of this work, Reflexivity occurred throughout all phases of the research process to ensure research team members attended to their role and the situated nature of this research. Our team, made up of individuals with multiple social identities, 
came to this research at different stages in their understanding of Indigenous approaches to knowledge gathering, but with a shared commitment to deep, lifelong learning. Sarah is a settler of European descent. She is a PhD-trained qualitative researcher who has worked in the field of Indigenous education for over 10 years. Sebastian is settler in Plains Cree and a second-year medical student with a growing interest in medical education research. Chris is a settler of European descent with experience as both a leader and a researcher in medical education. Loy has mixed European ancestry, two decades of experience working in Indigenous health, and brings expertise on health professional education and accreditation standards to advance equity. Danielle is settler in Anishinaabe Kwe and the regional practice lead for an Indigenous health organization. Establishing a safe and ethical space for dialogue. Participant sense of safety was our team's priority throughout the study. Recognizing the long history of Indigenous communities being subjected to harmful and unethical research practices and behaviors, we took deliberate steps to ensure participants' stories about their post-secondary experiences were heard, honored, and handled both in an ethical and relational manner. Research interviews were facilitated by Sebastian and Danielle, both of whom identify as Indigenous. This was a deliberate decision made by the research team, as it was crucial that there was a base of shared understanding and expectations between participants and researchers. At the onset of each interview, Sebastian and Danielle took considerable time to establish rapport with participants and locate themselves within the research, including providing participants with an understanding of why they were each drawn to and passionate about this area of research. As Kovic writes, Learning something of the researcher's personal story may help research participants decide what to share of their own stories and how to share them. Additionally, we ensured participants had access to appropriate mental health supports and resources in the event engagement in our study elicited an emotional response. We also gifted each participant a $30 voucher to a local vendor who specializes in traditional medicines and holistic practices. This allowed participants to easily access medicines or self-care options to protect and improve their mental health and well-being. To maintain the privacy and confidentiality of our participants, we do not include demographic information in the report of our results, nor will we be providing descriptive information that could identify the research site. Ethics approval was obtained from the appropriate Institutional Research Ethics Board. Results. Long before entering medical school, participants were navigating complex identity cues around how to express their Indigenous identity. Participants identified a range of factors influencing their decision to pursue medicine, often mentioning the role that their Indigenous identity and previous lived experiences played in their education and career pursuits. In what follows, we explore learners' motivations and their evolving sense of identity at each stage in their education journey, highlighting how they navigated two key challenges, which we've called the burden of proof and the burden of responsibility. We conclude by outlining the different ways learners established connectedness to others, their learning environment, and vocation throughout medical training. Motivations and influences for pursuing a career in medicine. For many, the catalyst for pursuing higher education in later medical education was to quote, affect change in people's lives in a meaningful way, participant five. 
Participants' motivations to pursue individual career goals were influenced by where participants could have the greatest impact on health systems and change the dynamics of healthcare delivery. Quote, I'm definitely driven by my vision of being an Indigenous medical specialist because I know how few of us there are. I want to be that change that I want to see. Participant one. Participants saw career in medicine as an opportunity to, quote, make the biggest impact, participant three, and to challenge and change current healthcare practices perceived to maintain and exacerbate inequality and trauma for Indigenous people. Participants affectionately recalled loved ones and community members who served as early role models, encouraging them to do, quote, to do what lights your fire, participant one. As participant five said, I knew I always wanted to give back to my community in some way. That's just how I was raised. And my community has been so great and so supportive of me. So I always knew I wanted to give back in some capacity. And I just knew that I wanted my career to allow me to do that kind of work. So eventually I kind of was, well, you can solve so many of our problems through health promotion, health care, and just really good support. So I kind of just married the two ideas, my love for science, and I guess my love for my community, and then just felt like medicine was the right way to go. A few participants also acknowledged how becoming a physician was a pathway to reducing financial hardship and stress felt during childhood. For them, a career in medicine provided both the social capital and higher income potential to live a stable and fulfilled life. See figure S1, quote, it's been kind of a running joke between me and my mother when I first started. I'm going to be a doctor. I'm going to make money. And the whole point was, when I was young, Starbucks was a big treat. That is, you got perfect on an exam or something. This is your reward. And all I've ever wanted to was to be able to have a Starbucks whenever I wanted it. I wanted to be able to afford to buy myself a nice coffee whenever I wanted it. I didn't want it to have to be a treat. A lot of my education journey was, I'm tired of being poor. Although each participant's social, sociocultural background and pathway to medicine was distinctly unique, their lived experiences during medical training showed a striking resemblance, predominantly at three points in their transition to and progression through medical education, preparing for and applying to medical school, completing undergraduate medical training, and determining specialty choice. Their own lived experiences of poverty and colonization fueled the desire to change circumstances for themselves their families, communities, and all Indigenous people in Canada through their role as physician. Applying to medical school, bearing the burden of proof. Participants quickly realized that applying to medical school and acclimatizing to the culture and demands of medicine was complicated as an Indigenous person. Participants were called considerable logistical, financial, and time-based stressors throughout the admissions process. Participant four remembered the cost of medical school causing angst during a, quote, already stressful time. Although some were fortunate to eventually receive financial support from their home community, they recalled the process being quite a learning curve. Providing proof of Indigenous status was another burden participants had to assume during the process of admissions and when applying for entrance scholarships. Repeatedly being asked to demonstrate proof of their Indigenous ancestry, left some participants questioning their indigeneity. Quote, it was very stressful as far as my identity because I was still figuring out my identity and what that meant to me 
and speaking more with my family and trying to understand a bit about my heritage. Participant two. Colonial legacies of persecution and racism have resulted in many Indigenous families not always embracing and passing on information about their Indigenous heritage. Participant one recounted how their grandmother, a residential school survivor, focused on distancing rather than immersing family in their Indigenous language and identity. She grew up in that era of it's not so much Indigenous pride in representing where you're from. Back then, it was about fitting in and surviving. And how did you fit in and survive? Well, you didn't talk Indian and you didn't speak your language and you didn't really bother with teaching your kids because the perception was it wouldn't do anything for them. Participant three shared similar sentiments as participant one, crediting an ant to enhancing their cultural awareness later in life. Because my mother did not bring us up Indigenous, she was very scared of the consequences of it, and that's what she was taught growing up. My aunt, on the other hand, really embraced it from an early age, so she was the Indigenous voice of the family, so to speak. She's been very supportive throughout my journey because I didn't really get started until I left home and went off to university and decided this was something I really wanted to learn more about. Participants also referred to how much they appreciated the formal mentorship and availability of resources extended to them early in their medical education journey. This offer of academic and personal support throughout the admissions process, which often included opportunity to connect with Indigenous physicians and senior medical students, affirmed participants' decision to pursue a career in medicine and helped reconcile the state of disunity many reported feeling at the time of applying. As participant five explained, most of us were coming from backgrounds where we didn't know anybody who are physicians. Some of our communities don't even have doctors in them. They're nurse-run. So it's hard to find people who we can ask questions to. Those senior students were really helpful. You could ask anything without kind of feeling judged for asking. Although participants recognized the benefits of Indigenous admissions pathways to medicine, many felt they equally reinforced a widespread misconception that Indigenous people are not as academically competitive as their non-Indigenous peers. Quote, There has been a couple of cases of racist remarks or even just their appearance of what it means to apply through the Indigenous stream. Like when you talk to people, a lot of them say you didn't truly apply. It's not as competitive. It doesn't mean as much as if you applied through the regular stream. Yet we have to jump through three times the hoops that they do. Participant three. This persistence of misinformation and lack of knowledge regarding different admission streams resulted in many participants feeling like they had to continually show themselves as deserving of their spot in medical school. Quote, As Indigenous medical students were constantly hearing from our peers that, well, you wouldn't have gotten into medical school anyway just because you got in, just because they have access programs. And a lot of it really is, oh, you don't deserve to be here by the other med students. You're not smart enough. You just got in because they had a seat for you. At first, I was like, do I even identify as Indigenous to my classmates? Is that going to make them think less of me? But that's the thing. I am a really strong candidate without being Indigenous. I had the grades. I had the knowledge. I knew I was smart. I didn't need the Indigenous seat. The work I wanted to do is why I wanted to be there. Participant two. These feelings of exclusion were amplified by the fact that some participants struggled to relate with their peers. As one participant remarked, 
quote, most people who go into medicine tend to either have parents who come from medicine or an affluent kind of lifestyle, participant four. Participants recalled moments where they felt out of place, describing their entry into medicine as, quote, definitely a bit of a culture shock, participant five. Data analysis revealed a divergence beginning to emerge, whereby participants felt as though they were living two different realities, life as a medical trainee and life back home with family and friends. Their tensions left participants wrestling with feelings of doubt concerning their decision to openly identify as Indigenous and at times unsure how to foster meaningful connections with their peers and preceptors. Advancing through medical training, bearing the burden of responsibility. The pressure to succeed as a medical trainee comes both from the hopes of community and family to prove one's deserved place in the medical school by breaking down deeply held stereotypes about Indigenous people. This often leads Indigenous learners to carry a double burden. In addition to balancing the high volume workload of medical school, participants were frequently approached with requests to develop Indigenous health curricula or to serve as the Indigenous voice on various committees and task forces. Many participants contributed significant amounts of time and energy to these endeavors, despite rarely receiving any compensation. Quote, We care for our communities and our people so much. When people call on us to discuss matters of racism or discuss how to properly incorporate Indigenous content into the curriculum, you feel like you really want to be able to sit down and make sure that these things are done correctly and they do our communities justice. But then at the same time, you feel like you can't say no, even when you probably should and really aren't equipped. Participant 5. Participant felt compelled to ensure topics represented throughout the curriculum were accurately portrayed and respectfully delivered because they were, quote, sick of hearing ridiculous stereotypes taught in a lecture that was supposed to be about Indigenous health. Participant 2. However, some feared potential repercussions should they speak up. Quote, Sitting in class and hearing things be presented in a way that doesn't do the topics justice or like write out is having presentations with statements that are outright racist or just completely incorrect and feeling your face burning up because you feel like you have the responsibility of standing up and correcting it, but also feeling like I'm a first year medical student and I'm on the bottom run in terms of the rank. I can't correct a staff doctor in front of the entire student body. Participant five. As the few or only Indigenous learners in their medical school class, participants were passionate to get involved in advocacy work or curriculum development. But over time, the weight of these requests on their time and energy left many exhausted, often unsure on how to proceed. Quote, So I want to keep pushing this work forward and I don't want to stop, but I am also checking in with myself, going, how much do I have to give right now? And is this making me happy? Right now, it feels a little bit like a burden, to be honest. Participant 2. The burden of responsibility was additionally felt, albeit in a slightly different way, during the residency program selection process. Participants described feeling a social pressure to return to and serve their communities. As Participant 4 remarked, there's always going to be that, oh, well, why didn't you return to your community? Or you're not doing enough to represent your people. The attention is going to be on you, whether or not you want it. Although some participants elected to return to or relocate near their home community to pursue their medical specialty, other participants felt drawn to different specialties requiring advanced medical training 
and infrastructure. Participants recognize that they need not physically be practicing medicine within their community to have a positive impact on Indigenous health outcomes. When this understanding was paired with their personal calling, participants felt more assured in their specialty choice. Seeking connection. In those moments during training where participants experienced loneliness or felt misunderstood, many found comfort and belonging in the presence of, another, of other Indigenous people, be it Indigenous patients, peers, or preceptors. As participant one explained, quote, it's moments like those that really provided that sense of belonging and the camaraderie. You don't have to explain the idiosyncrasies of being Indigenous in healthcare to people. Participants noted that strong bonds that they developed with Indigenous physicians or other Indigenous medical trainings, which provided them with a sense of, quote, I'm not the only one, participant two, and allowed them to develop a personalized network of active support, quote, I actually felt really lucky to be surrounded by so many other students who were coming from a similar background. We always looked out for each other whenever there were due dates and things like that. We would kind of make sure everybody felt supported and knew what was going on, especially whenever we had presentations on Indigenous topics or whenever any doctors made comments that were harmful in any way. We were able to decompress with each other, which was really nice. Participant thought. Amid the unrelenting professional and academic demands, participants additionally found solace and connection by engaging in different cultural practices and recreational activities outside of medical training. Being within the four walls of the medical schools was, quote, not easy, participant one, and thus spending time in and learning from nature was crucial to maintaining some participants' mental and emotional well-being. See photograph S2. So every summer, we would always be out in the woods picking berries and hanging out. The medicine in it is really the time on the land, the time out where you can have conversation, that quality time, that quietness and that stillness away from the hustle and bustle of life. I had that all summer long, every summer growing up. Still, to this day, I go out to the lake all the time. That's my place. Participant two. Traditional and often sacred clothing and accessories were also referenced by participants as significant to affirming both personal and cultural identity. Some participants wore special stoles or regalia during specific events at the medical school. Others intentionally incorporated these accessories into their work attire, proudly donning them as badges of honor. See photograph S3. Quote, The reason I took a picture of my lanyard is that it's a piece of myself that I get to show on the outside in my regular day-to-day -day work, like, my ID badge goes with me everywhere I go. It's an everyday reminder of where I come from and my culture, and it's something that shows to the world who I am. Discussion. Our study findings demonstrate that participants' motivation to study and ultimately practice medicine was primarily influenced by a desire to pay it forward, generate culturally safe spaces for Indigenous patients seeking care, and leverage their social platform as physicians to address the social and health inequities affecting the well-being of many Indigenous communities. Participants also highlighted the importance of receiving mentorship from faculty and senior trainees who could intimately identify with their experiences as an Indigenous person navigating a career in medicine. Our data substantiate previous findings in the literature that access to diverse mentors provides crucial academic support and personal affirmation to racial and ethnic minority medical trainees 
as they navigate the sometimes unfamiliar world of academic medicine. By virtue of being a medical trainee, often studying far away from their home community, many non-Indigenous learn many Indigenous learners can feel disconnected from their friends and family, missing out on important life events and ceremonies. By accessing Indigenous mentors and cultural supports, learners maintain a fundamental sense of community alongside other Indigenous healthcare professionals with whom they may relate and celebrate their identity. Nevertheless, at each juncture in their medical education, participants' stories revealed a tug of war between their identities as an Indigenous person and as a medical trainee. With these tensions sometimes compromising their perceived sense of belonging within both Indigenous and academic circles. Although this dual identity is a strength, it also creates a heavy burden. Participants describe being thrust into learning environments where they are laden with misconceptions about Indigenous people. Participants also illuminated two specific areas where they experienced racism. Questions about their academic fitness for medical school and persisting inaccuracies and stereotypes in curricula, both of which they felt pressed to respond to. We know based on existing literature and unfortunately incidences shared by team members that systemic discrimination against Indigenous people remains prevalent in formal education settings and the healthcare system. The stories our participants told reinforce that these chronic issues persist and weigh heavily on their identity. Our study findings provide insight into the unique challenges Indigenous learners encounter, leaving them particularly vulnerable to feeling isolated, unsupported, and burnt out throughout medical training. Previous research has delved into what others have colloquially referred to as the race tax or minority tax, characterized as the overwhelming volume of service-related demands, largely focused on race or diversity issues, Indigenous and racialized academics are frequently expected to assume because of their social location. However, these insights are largely derived from faculty or those in leadership positions, with little attention placed to how these challenges translate to Indigenous medical students or junior physicians. Our study widens existing knowledge of cultural taxation within medical education, revealing that the burden to be involved in shaping policy and expanding Indigenous health learning opportunities is felt strongly by very Indigenous learners, by very junior Indigenous learners, not just seasoned faculty members. This study enhances our understanding of the conflicting duality Indigenous learners confront and provides a springboard for medical schools to re-examine strategies aimed at enhancing longitudinal retention of Indigenous learners. We were particularly struck by the realization that the indignities participants regularly confronted were neither disrupted nor openly acknowledged, especially given the commitments we hear from medical schools to advance Indigenous reconciliation. The ongoing experiences of racism and curriculum that continues to perpetuate colonial narratives result in many Indigenous learners spending their free time defending their right to participate in medical education or educating others about the health inequities that exist among Indigenous people. Participants did not regret their involvement in these pursuits. On the contrary, many expressed a desire to improve teaching around Indigenous health. The problem came when they felt overburdened by the expectation that they would be called upon disproportionately to others, often without acknowledgement, resources, and compensation. Our participants felt conflicted. If they did not address these stereotypes, who would? And if they did, what would it cost them to do so? 
If medical schools are serious about advancing reconciliation and building a more culturally safe and representative medical workforce, then they must invest greater resources into attracting and supporting qualified Indigenous professionals that can assist learners in exploring healthcare career opportunities across the education continuum. Our study has demonstrated that Indigenous learners do not feel there is enough expertise or adequate representation of Indigenous health content to allow them to just be students. Instead, they are expected to be teachers because the medical school is not fully prepared for this decolonizing work. One way to relieve Indigenous learners of this burden is to create a critical mass of Indigenous health expertise through targeted or cluster hiring. This approach, according to Henry et al., helps to avoid tokenism or situations in which the only marginalized individual is isolated. Not only does greater representation of Indigenous people help generate a sense of belonging, mentorship, and community for aspiring physicians, it additionally confers direct benefit to all learners through ensuring Indigenous health content is taught appropriately. Institutional action taken to improve Indigenous representation, whether through cluster hiring or other recruitment and retention practices, must proceed with forethought. Just as medical schools can no longer let Indigenous learners bear the brunt of institutional equity work, Indigenous faculty cannot be expected to shoulder the extra workplace burdens often placed on underrepresented persons in medicine. Such behavior is harmful and exploitive as it burns out new Indigenous faculty members, places them as tokenistic representatives in toxic spaces, and undermines their ability to take on their full academic responsibilities. We urge those working in ed medical education to take great care throughout the development, implementation, and review of institutional equity policies and practices so as not to unwittingly disadvantage Indigenous people seeking a career in medicine. Increasing the number of Indigenous people in medicine will not resolve the issues raised in this paper if the institutional climate continues to overburden Indigenous people with the full responsibility of making medicine a culturally safe place for Indigenous learners and healthcare professionals. We feel strongly that non-Indigenous people play a critical part in dismantling racism and disrupting the status quo through their role as educators, researchers, health professionals, and leaders. Medical schools are encouraged to make training mandatory around trauma-informed care, anti-racist and anti-colonial approaches, not just for learners, but for all those employed within the medical school. Enhancing competencies in these areas will be key to advancing national and international calls to action, specifically calls to train more Indigenous health professionals and improve the healthcare experience of Indigenous people. Limitations. We are aware that our sample size is small and might be a point of concern. We anticipated the current underrepresentation of Indigenous learners in medical education might pose a challenge for recruitment as the gap in admission rate of Indigenous learners in medical school is well documented. Following our recruitment on recently graduated, focusing our recruitment on recently graduated physicians and present learners provided us with a diverse sample of participants across training years and education settings. As we noted earlier, narrative inquiry focuses on depth over breadth. The story shared in this paper are representative of participants' experiences pursuing medical education in Canada and should not be taken to represent the experiences of Indigenous learners in other countries. Conclusion. Meaningful representation of Indigenous people in the medical workforce is about more than training additional physicians. 
It requires respectful listening to the stories of Indigenous people as they enter and navigate the medicine profession. By amplifying their voices, we stand to gain a more holistic representation of the factors that contribute to and potentially impede the recruitment and retention of Indigenous people into the medical profession. This research contributes new ways of thinking about and reconfiguring career development support for Indigenous learners and practicing physicians, paving the way for practical implementation of national and international calls to action concerning Indigenous health. Acknowledgement. We thank the participants for sharing their perspectives with us. Conflicts of interest. The authors have no conflicts of interest to report in the study. Ethics statement. This study was approved by the Health Sciences Research Ethics Board of the research site. Author contributions. All authors contributed to this paper. Sarah Berm conceptualized the study, assisted with data analysis, co-wrote the first draft of the manuscript, and completed revisions of the manuscript in accordance with team members' feedback. Sebastian Diagle assisted with data collection and analysis, co-wrote the first draft of the manuscript and provided feedback on later iterations of the manuscript. Christopher Watling and Lloyd Wiley contributed to the study conception and to the analysis and interpretation of data. Both contributed feedback during manuscript development. Danielle Elcock assisted with data collection and analysis and provided feedback throughout manuscript development. All authors have given final approval of the submitted paper and agreed to be accountable for all aspects of the work. Support, supporting information. Additional supporting information, such as the photos referenced in this paper, can be found online in the supporting information section at the end of this article. Mm -hmm.